BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to GVN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome Mark Kolpak. Mark is currently VFX supervisor for season two of Netflix's Raising Dion. And before that, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Here's your host, Martin Sexton. Welcome to this special edition of GVN's Talking Comics, or what we'll call it today, GVN's Talking VFX. I am your host, Martin, and today I am very excited to talk to Mark Kolpak, who is the VFX supervisor for Netflix Raisin Dion, which is entering its second season. And before that, for seven fantastic seasons, he was the VFX supervisor for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So we're going to talk to him about his career, his work on Raisin Dion, and of course, his time on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So uh, let's welcome Mark Kolpak to GVN's Talking VFX. Great to see you, Mark. Thanks for giving us some of your time today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Martin. I'm sorry it took so long for me uh, to finally be a guest on your uh, show, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, well, hey, it's all right. It's, a, it's worth the wait. Okay, so let's uh, start in the beginning. Uh, so when did you first take an interest uh, in VFX, and was there a particular show or movie that made you watch that you thought, uh, I would like to do that kind of thing? It's funny. Um, it's been sort of an evolution, really. Um I will point out a couple of things, and those had definitely uh, an effect on on the direction I took. I've always been a major science fiction kind of guy, and I love that sort of fantasy storytelling uh, since I was a kid. I grew up watching the original Star Trek with Kirk and Spock, and and would never miss an episode. It was clearly, you know, a lot of it was rerun, so I watched it every night. But then um, one summer, I was 16 years old in 1977. And, um, and a, uh, a woman who worked for my dad had a, a screening group and a film screening group and, and she would get tickets and she would, you know, she said to me one time, she said, Hey, Mark, um, I think there's a movie that you might be interested in. And I said, uh, well, well, what movie is that? She says, it's called star Wars. And I said, what is star Wars? Is it like stars that have wars? I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, what what is that? That's and she goes. I don't know. I think it's it's like space and things that you probably will like. So I went to that uh, to the screening at the New Academy Theater on Sunset, and it had it was not released yet. And I saw this thing, and I'm reading the text, and I'm reading the text. And as a 16 year old in the 70s, you're like, do I really have to read this much? Um, <laughs> 
And so uh, then finally, you know, the text disappears off into the distance and there's that lull and the music is playing. And then I see a spaceship come overhead that I had never seen photographed that way before and how real it looked. And I, at that moment, felt something in my brain rewire. And, um, and at that point, I was just like, this was amazing to me, the, the way they shot the stuff and the models and the motion control. And, but that did not mean I was directly going into visual effects. It means I, I, I suddenly found something of great interest to me that was brand new in my mind and, and, and honestly was. It was a, it was a revolutionary uh, way of shooting you know, models. So, so it wasn't until I graduated film school and I was working, at, I started off as, a, as an apprentice film editor and as, then as an assistant film editor. And I was really good at film opticals, meaning I was really great at creating optical effects and doing them on the paper and, you know, writing them up and working with the lab and, but still not thinking visual effects. I was doing a lot of writing and watching direct and, and editing was a really great training ground uh, as a means to help me better craft my talent to tell stories through pictures. So, um, so then in early 92, I'm, I'm, I'm working for a company called Kaleidoscope Films. And this guy named Mark Trugman, who was the VP of the company, after I get done, he says, hey, Mark, what do you got going next? And I said, I'm looking for a gig, as, as always. And he says, you know, you would be really great at my wife's company. And I said, well, where does she work? And he says, she, she works for a place called Pitka Films, a guy named Joe Pitka. And he's a commercial director. I said, I don't have any experience in commercials. He says, it doesn't matter, but you're really great in post, and that's what they need. So I went down, I interviewed. I had no idea how literally large Joe Pitka was, both in stature at 6'5", and looking like Vigor the Carpathian. And... Um, <laughs> Exactly like Vigor the Carpathian, mind you, with long hair and everything. And um, I had no idea who this guy was. I'd never worked in commercials. And I got to his company, got hired, and then spent the next two and a half years working for the most hard-nosed, difficult, brilliant um, grad school professor, basically. And that was Joe. And when I got there... There are very few times in our lives when you can, when opportunity knocks and you can recognize the opportunity and take advantage of it. And I realized, I saw the kind of commercials he was making. This is a guy who, who directed Space Jam and Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss, you know, as well as winning more, more Gold Lions and more Palm Doors and more everything, every award you could imagine in, in commercials. And... So I see the opportunity. I see the, the visual effects that they're doing. And this is, the, this is at the, the cusp of where things were transitioning from photochemical working in the labs to the digital realm. You know, uh, digital domain wasn't even around yet. So I went, wow, this is something really great. So I dove into it and I collected every Cinefix magazine. That became like my textbooks. Um, and I and I I basically asked questions of every big brain person that I worked with in 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 you know the telecine bays back then before they were DI bays and, and 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 just how to do this and and but I was really good 
at seeing life in multiple layers and 20 to 100 layers at a time. And that's where the marriage of my art background and my desire to tell stories through pictures and everything sort of came from. And I spent two and a half years there and I realized this is going to be hard, but if I'm going to go through the pain, I got to stay here long enough to collect enough work and, and get my knowledge up to snuff and become an expert at this um, before I get fired. And that's how everyone sort of ended it there. So I worked two and a half years and I worked on the biggest things and acquired the knowledge that I needed to then leave that company and start my own, my own, you know, business at the time and, and, and everything else. And I had a great reel. So ad agency producers, all, everything from BBDO New York to Whiting Kennedy to Footcomb Building to everybody, you know, knew of me and, I was in commercials for a long time until that market sort of crashed and I had to reinvent myself again into television. I say, well, I noticed uh, you did a, an ad, uh, basically it was sound like a network ad for the syndicated Deep Space Nine, you know, for different things. And yes. Of course I, I, and I said, I saw that and said, yeah, I thought he was cool before. Now he's even more cool because I'm a big Star Trek fan. Uh, so I said, uh, and when I first saw it, I said, well, I got to check that out. So I, I went ahead and pulled it up. Uh, of course, I pulled it up on your website, which by anybody who wants to know what Mark has done in the past, go to his website. He's got some really cool stuff there. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I said, uh, of course, you had me with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but you definitely had me uh, doing anything with Star Trek. So well, that, um, was a, that was a funny story with, with Deep Space Nine because I was brought in to supervise a commercial for a company that had never produced any kind of live production, but they had an opportunity to do this this commercial, this you know on air ad for Deep Space Nine. Um, so they wanted me to supervise it, and um, I said, "Fine, great, you know, another gig. That's fine with me." So I go in with the two guys that were set to direct it. One had done some commercials. One was an artist, and and they go in there, and we're sitting with the the president of this ad agency, and and. They started arguing with him. You know, he's questioning the concept that they were promoting for this thing. And, and he doesn't care for it. And yet they're trying to tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so I'm sitting in this very uncomfortable meeting. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I got I to gotta somehow calm the situation down because this is going south real fast. So I said to him, I said, you know what? I think I may have a solution. And right away, the head of the agency goes like this to me. And he just he's locked into me. And I said, what if we do it where you have your average guy and he's on the streets of New York and he's getting bounced around and kicked around and his briefcase opens and he's getting stepped on and he cries out and we pull away from him all the way off the planet through space to the 24th century. And in comes Deep Space Nine. And he looks at me, he says, I love that. I love it. We're doing that. And you're directing it. <laughs> and those guys were out. <laughs> that was it. Well, I'll tell you, again, I, I, I always question the logic of arguing with the guy who's paying for stuff. So, uh, but uh... it never, it never goes right. I mean, you know, the reality of this business is, is, you know, a saying I, I always tell people, you know, that I work with and I say, look at, I positively manipulate people to get what I want. Being mean or rude is not going to get you anywhere. 
But if I can work with you and I can see the talent that you have and you're going in a direction that maybe isn't correct in my mind in terms of what I want to achieve, I don't say to them, what the hell are you doing here? This is terrible, you know, because that just sucks all the oxygen out of the room and people can't think. I'll always say, you know, that's an interesting idea. I think I got a way that I can get you there a little faster. And they go, okay. And I tell them this, this, and this. And away we go. It just saves time. I don't have time to waste ever. So, right. you know, that's just where things go. But, you know, arguing with people that are that are giving you a job or have hired you and then you're fighting with them um, is not going to get you any repeat business. Right, exactly. Uh, and I always, I always often find that uh, right, people are much more inclined, even if it's totally against some, you know, the direction they're going, if you approach it in a, you know, a positive manner, they're much more likely to redirect than if you, right, you know, confront them with it, because then they start digging in their heels, and next thing you write, then you're getting nowhere. Um, yeah. I mean, it takes a lifetime of, in a career, to really understand the politics that occurs within every industry, and, and, and especially in mine. A lot of people uh, dealing with very complicated ways of, of, of working and equipment and software and those that don't know but are in positions to oversee things are, are nervous about being seen as they don't know. So it's so I'm always extremely careful to help understand. And you know, one of the things that's that's also I tell young people when I've spoken at colleges, I say, look at, you know, you can't tell someone that something doesn't work. You can't just when they say, hey, can you try this? That won't work. Because that leads you right away into a confrontation. Right. Because you have to say, you have to let them know that you're listening and more importantly that you hear them. And, and what I mean by that is you have to say, you know what, that's an interesting idea. Let me explore it and let me get back to you. Now you have listened and heard and regarded what they said. So if you come back, even though you know it's not going to work, you come back, look at it. I looked at it. It's not, it. It doesn't really work. Maybe we could do this. They'll accept it. But if you flat out, you know, confront them off the bat, then then it usually leads to an end that you don't like. Yep, uh, and that's true pretty much in most businesses. Okay, yep. so uh, you are currently working on Netflix's uh, Raising Beyond, which is going yep. into its second season. Uh, yep. So how did how did you uh, how did you get that gig? I mean, did they approach sure. you? Did you approach them? Uh, how how did that work? Um, well, it was it was sort of like one of these things. Um, Netflix has adopted. An interesting uh, old new business model. <laughs> what I mean by that is, if you remember back in the in the golden age of of filmmaking, studios had um, contract player deals, right? Right. They would sign an actor to a five year deal or a five picture deal or whatever the heck they did, and so they worked for MGM, they worked for Paramount. You know, they were they were a stable. So. So I got approached by the VFX uh, department at Netflix to, to ask if I would be interested in entertaining the idea of working with them as a CTP um, position, which is a uh, contract contract talent player. Um, and and I would help them internally with looking at, at slates of projects that they were developing and, and seeing how, how much they would cost and everything else. In the time that they would be able to have me working with them with the idea that I would then transfer onto a show. 
So one of the things that they found is, and it's been rather discouraging to them, is that they, they would reach out to someone like me or anybody else, right? They say, hey, Mark, you, you, you coming available? Yeah, I'll be available at this time, you know, a couple of months. Great, great, great. We're not ready yet to pull the plug on you, you know, and get that thing going, but we'll get back to you. And then they get back maybe a few months from now and, okay, we want to work with you. And they go, you know what, something else just jumped in and I'm not available again. So they kept losing out, you know, um, on, on, on talent that they really want to work with. So I was someone that they had their eyes set on as someone they really wanted to work with. So, um, so I went to that position and then raising Dion was in the works, right? right. So, uh, they sort of slotted me for that, but it means I wasn't on the picture. I had to do a full, you know, meeting with Carol Barbie, the showrunner and, and, and some other folks and an interview like anyone else. It wasn't a guarantee just because I was a CTP, I was going to get the job. So I met with, with Carol and a few other people. And, uh, but anyways, so I interviewed and, you know, they asked me, you know, I, I had seen season one on my own. It wasn't like I watched it to, to, to work on a job. I had seen it because I was kind of interested and I was a fan. I liked it. And uh, they wanted to know what, what I would, you know, how I work and what I would, you know, any ideas and stuff like that. And I was working already on, on, on some of the scripts and, you know, through the CTP thing in preparation. Um, and, you know, they liked what they heard a lot. And they said, well, we got some other people to interview. And I said, look, it, do your due diligence. That's all fine. You know, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. You know, um, you know, the, the, so don't, don't, don't feel bad. No hard feelings. No, 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 no. We, we like this. We just have to go. <laughs> I said, okay. And so anyway, um, yeah, so then I got hired. So then I trans transitioned from the CTP onto the show and brought my team on of, you know, Sabrina Arnold, my VFX producer and Brianna Abbey, my production manager and Ryan Booz, my, my VFX editor, who were all with me on Ra on Ages of Shield. Right. So we have a tight, you know, foursome and, uh, and we do things extremely efficient. Okay. Okay. So, how does that exactly work? I mean, as you said, you are I mean, you were already looking over the scripts in your you know in your other job. So, as far as the uh, for visual effects, do they give you a number of scripts ahead of time? They give you just the one yeah. script. Okay. Now, this is what. So, how does exactly does that work? Um, well, streaming services work differently than broadcast television. Broadcast television is a is a writing as you go process. Where premium cable like HBO and Stars and and streaming like you know Netflix and and, and Amazon and whatnot and, and Apple they would develop all the scripts prior to to production, so you get to see the whole season arc, and then you're budgeting each script and breaking it down and planning all the visual effects, knowing that you've got this much money, you know you know you're kind of break it up into a pattern for each episode, but that money in a streaming world is kind of great because you can easily slide it where this episode is going to be a little bigger. This one's going to be a little smaller. So you can move the money around to pay for it. Broadcast doesn't really work that way. They want you to be at an X number uh, for this episode. And if the next one is less, then it's less. You're not getting to save that money and put it somewhere else. Um, so, so I got the, I had a little bit of a heads up because they, Netflix really wanted me to handle raising Dion. And so I started going over, like I said, the scripts and breaking them down and really getting an, an idea of what 
the season was going to look like both creatively and financially. Okay, so like, of course, you know, you've had seven years in Agency Shield, and you probably learned a lot of things, what did and didn't work. Were you able to use put those, some of that knowledge to use as you're doing uh, raising DMs? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things is, is that, you know, everything, everything that you, you do, hopefully you do because the material is creative and challenging. And if that is the motivation and not a financial one, then you usually walk away with a new tool or a new jewel of knowledge, right? And that tool gets put in your, in your box of tricks. And so therefore you have all these really great, unique tools that you can then uh, use on other projects. And that's been basically built over my career. And a lot of what I do has been kind of in the superhero genre area of the last, you know, I don't know, 14 years, something like that. It's from No Ordinary Family, Heroes, and, um, you know, and then of course, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. and now Raising Dion. So, um, so anyway, so, you know, you, you learn, you learn how to become better at your craft, and that enables you to problem solve quicker, faster, better. Um, and so, I know right off the bat how to manipulate things visually, both from a two D perspective or a three D approach. How much I can get out of things on set, uh, you know, and and what I can get away with, and save time and money there if, if need be without compromising uh, the end result, meaning the shots that, that, that have to always work. The art has to succeed always. Are there, are there shots and things that I've done that, you know, I'm not particularly happy with? Yeah, I had some things in Age of the Shield that I didn't like. You know, there was a, there was a map painting of the, of the bus that, that landed in, in a jungle in season one that didn't look too too great you know that was you know part of part of what's really important martin when you're when you're doing this stuff is you have to be kind of like a casting agent for visual effects it's really really important that you cast the work to the strength of the visual effects houses most visual effects houses will you know in the past will say oh we're great at everything we're great at map paintings and 2d comping and 3d work and character animation and effects work and you know, but not everyone is really great at everything. And also it's important from my perspective in terms of my responsibility is to is to limit risk, um, mitigate the risk. And, and and that means you can't overload a facility with too much work that you jeopardize it getting completed to the satisfaction that you need the work to be at. You know, the, the work has to excel. So if you load a company up, suddenly now they may not have all the manpower, they may not have the bandwidth, they may not have a bunch of things and things go wrong. And suddenly now you're up against the wire and you're trying to get shots done and, and a shot may need to go three or four more versions to get it right. And now you're stuck with just this version. So really project management is, is keen to, to uh, you know, the success of, of a project and and so therefore casting to the right places and one company we thought was going to be really good and it, and it wasn't so great and it was fine but it wasn't what i wanted um you know we got into a thing with ghosts in season four uh of agents of shield <laughs> like i ghosts were tough 
it's it's yeah. just it, it's just it just was a tough look, you know. Um, so there so there are things that always that you just kind of go, mm-hmm. I just could have had a little bit more time, you know. It's like it's like you know one director one time said to me, he said when he looks at his episodes that he's directed, he only sees lost opportunities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the case for most. People. You know, I'm, I'm my worst critic, uh, so uh, that's kind of how that goes. Uh, now, you, you know, you talk about using outside vendors. Do anytime you do that, do they still have to go through you in the end for approval? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, the visual effects supervisor is the department head in charge of the visual effects. Um, you know, for the show, so so I'm hired. Then I hire my my producer, and then we bring on our coordinator or, or production manager. It just depends on how how complicated and how large the show is, in terms of how many how many people we need for our team. You know, so in this thing, we we said, well, you know, it's going to be not a huge amount of shots, so we can pretty much use our same team that we had uh, on Ages of Shield without having to add more people. So. Um, so I then bring them all on and then I'm sort of, you know, again, responsible for where the work will get done and how do I get the work done for the money that I have been given. And, um, and most, most of the, um, we're only using three facilities. We're using Fuse, COSA and Spin VFX. So uh, we were going to have a fourth, but there just wasn't enough work. And, and, and therefore we were able to divide things up nicely uh, amongst the three but um you know so then what comes into play is like gee i would like i would like to do it the way i normally do things which is i normally would travel a day or two around town going to the vfx houses sitting with the artists looking in the screening rooms talking about the work bringing them in make sure they understand you know what it is that i'm describing or need or the changes they are in within a shot um, but we have COVID, so everything is literally done like this now. So I spend most of my time looking at my computer monitor to to the Hollywood squares, you know, uh, of of wonderfully talented people. But it's not the same. So so we have to manage the projects, and and in this case, I went well. We're going to have to make our money go a little farther. So we did that by um, using our houses that are also in tax credit friendly territories. So we get exchange rate plus we get tax credits. So, you know, uh, there was a lot of money saved through tax credits that were able to make our dollar go further and get more on the screen and everything else. Dude, those are the kinds of things that, you know, just the person watching this would never even think uh, all that goes into it. I mean, just, you know, as you said, about, you know, balancing this to, the, to that as far as money spent, all we see is just, well, that effect looks really great. Is that we don't ever think about what actually goes into it. Uh, yeah, okay, so, there's a lot. Yes, I, I'm a, and I'm learning more as we go here. Okay, so uh, of course, naturally, on a new show, you're working with a new cast. Was that a, a an adjustment for you? I mean, you've been working basically with the same people now for the past seven years. Uh, so working with a new cast was that any kind of adjustment for you? It was a it was a big difference. Um, you know, part of the thing that you develop over time is a trust and a respect. And, and even though, you know, someone hires you, so they res- technically you go in assuming that, you know, people respect your, your, your talent and who you are as an artist and everything else. Um, but it, it, some of that is really built over time. And on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. between 
you know, between Jed Whedon and Jeff Bell, who were really running a lot of the day-to-day stuff of being the showrunners, you know, for this, for that project, along with Jed's wife, Marissa. Um, but Jed and Jeff were really the sort of nuts and bolts in a lot of the departments. And so, you know, I had, I had certain freedoms on that show that, that weren't readily available or evident in, in raising Dion. And that is like, you know, when they would sit with a director um, and they would have their long meeting, you know, where the director can go page by page, scene by scene, ask every little question, what is the subtext of this? And, and, and can I, I'd like to do something like this. Does that feel right to you guys and, and everything else? And sort of really plot out their execution. Um, Jed and Jeff would always say this when they would, when the directors would, would, would bring up visual effects, they would say, okay, with regards to visual effects, listen to Cole Pack and, and you will be fine. Let him do what he's <laughs> going to do. Just let him do it. You know, he will make you look great. So just follow his lead. Well, that didn't exist in Raising Dion. So, you know, and it's a faster turnaround. You know, you're doing eight episodes, four directors. So they're each director shooting two episodes and there's block shooting. And you're dealing with, which, you know, while I went into it going, oh yeah, we have a cast of kids, you know, for, for a lot of it, you don't realize the challenges of shooting with children, uh, especially nine-year-olds. Right. You know, they have a very limited amount of time on set. Um, they have to go to school a lot. And so you're always breaking, you're always racing the school, you know, equation to the shooting equation and making the equation balance out. And um, and they're very talented. Josiah's really talented. This kid Griffin who plays Braden is really, really talented. I mean, they're they're all wonderfully talented kids, but they're kids. Right. So they're sometimes their attention spans. They kind of like start going nutty <laughs> on set and running around and 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 those and 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 you don't have the certain time frame you have with adults, whereas, you know, you get more time out of the day. You get six hours, you know. Uh, so so it's a scheduling thing that the production did very well with balancing out non-kid scenes with kid scenes and, and everything. But, um, but it was hard for me to get in there to begin with and really let the directors know, please, don't be threatened by my presence. I am here to help you. So if you, I can only help you as much as you allow me to help you. And if you don't, then, you know, then we're usually dealing with things that didn't really work well for visual effects. And then we have to do what I call Frankensteining shots together, which is like, you're really just using crowbars and shoehorns and trying to put things together to make a moment uh, that could have been handled if, you employ the expertise of the visual effects person. So, so, so anyways, so it's, it's always a sort of a learning curve and, 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 but you only have eight episodes. You're not, you know, like, in, like with Ages of Shield, when we start off at 22 episodes a season. Right. And, you know, so, so that was the difference, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as easy, but you, but as a professional, you learn to pivot because professionals deliver, amateurs don't. Exactly. Okay, uh, so since we're talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, let's go ahead and pivot there a bit. Uh, when you first started with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., did you did they give you any indication? Did you have any indication of how long you might get? I mean, because, of, you know, of course, it seems like, especially after, like, the fifth season, it was a constant 
battle to know if it was going to go to the next season or not. I mean, did you have any aspirations that you were going to get a long run out of it? None. Um, <laughs> it seemed like a battle from 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 the get go after the after the first season, and it, it never seemed like maybe going to season two was kind of a little bit more of a given. But you know, as everyone is painfully aware, you know, our first ten episodes um, were not our were not our best showings. But they were not our best showings because we had to tread water, which is what I found out later. I never understood. We were kind of instead of doing an anthology, we we're sort of doing you know the monster of the week episode. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. kind of deal. Right. Um, and it was because you had Winter Soldier coming out, and you know we couldn't ever say Hydra because that was something that was going to come out there. So we had Centipede, which was the shadow, you know, the shadow entity of you know, nefarious individuals. And, um, and so, yeah. So and, until winter soldier came out, then episode 11, we were able to like, okay, great. They've got that's out. Everyone knows we, so the, the producers were able to write, you know, more freely, let's put it that way. And right. so I always felt like from season one, because we, we started with such high expectations, you know, I mean, Joss did a, a brilliant job, you know, directing the pilot and, it was it was great from the get go. The people assembled were fantastic. It was just kind of a kind of a dream team kind of you know pairing there of 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 everyone and in, in 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 all the different departments. So so it, it it just was always kind of like, well, are we going another season? You know, and now we are. We got to pick up. Okay, we got another one. As the season went a little later, I think we were a little bit. I remember one season we got sort of a really kind of late notification. Um, I can't remember if it was season three, but then season four, which I think most people re- regard as one of the, you know, great seasons that we produced. Right. You know, with the with the, with the three pods, um, which was a great structure of storytelling. Um, I think that changed it for five, and then and then suddenly like okay, five is going to be it. And then they said, no, let's do six. And then they did for seven, but reduced order, you know, so it was 13. And so, um, so we did those and, and I think we ended the show really well. I think, um, you know, uh, the work was, I don't know, we did like 133 episodes of that show over seven seasons. I know that all I all I ever hoped for, uh, you know, when they finally said, okay, seven, season seven was going to be the last one, I was saying, just give me an ending that beats what they did with poor Quantum Leap, because they killed me with Quantum Leap, and I yeah. still haven't gotten over it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, I thought that we wrapped up, they wrapped up things quite nicely uh, for season seven. Yes. Uh, okay, so, I mean, you get, you had a marvelous cast for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yes. Was there a specific actor or actress who was the most gung-ho about you wiring them up or doing whatever you needed to do to make an effect happen? You know, it's funny. Again, it's an evolution, right? And it's always like, who's the guinea pig and how did that go? <laughs> if, that, if that went well, then everyone was more open-minded. But I think everyone was floored by the work that my team and I were producing that they couldn't believe it. I will say that in the pilot, um, Ming-Na, which was really, really funny because I had to put her at a height above camera to be sitting in the bus in the cockpit. And so we had the blue screen and Josh said to me, okay, 
uh, Colpack, your time to shine. I'm out of here at like six o'clock. And he, he left, you know, and, and I got to like deal with Ming and she's sitting up on this crane. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's looking around and she goes, do I really need to be up here? I mean, this, I feel really stupid. And she was a little, you know, she was obviously uncomfortable. And I said, no, I said, look at, I said, it matches the perspective. It works for the height. It's going to be fine. And, and she went, okay. And then they saw what was being produced. And then whatever I would say, you know, they, they would go along with, you know, or they would try to understand it. I was always with my iPad. I would always show reference. I would show how shots were coming together, keeping the energy positive and exciting and motivate them always. Um, you know, one of the, one of, I, I, so they were all open. One of the big moments was episode 310, which was um, the birth of Quake. Mm-hmm. When, when, when Daisy became Quake. And, um, and so I went over, there was a, there was, you know, the director said, I need to go talk to the Chloe about, you know, getting, um, you know, the right posture because, you know, superheroes stand in a certain way, right? Right. They, they stand with their shoulders are back, chin is down, you know, and they have this sort of like posture, which gives them a command and, and, you know, a presence visually on screen. So I went over to her and I said, okay, so we're going to do this thing. And I was using a camera called the Phantom Flex, which I was going to shoot her at something like, I think 750 frames per second. So I said, okay, I said, you're going to come out of this thing. So I need you to do this wham effect, you know? And she goes, oh, you just want me to go like this? I said, no, 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 no. I said, she says, you just want me to throw my chest out. I said, no, no, no. I need you to feel it and go, this power, because you're going to release this energy out of you that's going to break the chrysalis and explode everything. And obviously, poor Trip gets shattered as well because he died. But I said, that's that's the look. And she went, so we rehearsed a little bit. And she goes, I think I got it. I said, okay. So take one. She does it. And the director says, great, I think we got it. I said, no, we don't have it. He goes, really? I go, no, we don't have it. Trust me. And so I said, listen, I need to bring Chloe over to the monitor so she can see what it is that we're doing so she can, you know, better understand and better perform. So I said, fine, call her over. So Chloe come over here. So I show her. I said, watch this. And she goes, oh, I get it now. Okay, I can do better. And so... Now we have her doing this at the same time, the E fan has to hit her hair. So it blows. So these things have to be in sync. It can't be E fan hit here before she's done this. So we do a take two director looks at me and says, wonderful. We got it. I said, we don't have it. He said, are you kidding me? <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, it's not magic yet. You know, and I've got, you know, I think Jeff Loeb was there and, and and Megan, Megan Thomas Bradner from Marvel Television, they were all they were there. Everyone was watching this moment, you know. And so, as well as the EPs, everybody. So I said, nope, we don't have it yet. I said, it's magic. And they're all looking at me like they, they kind of understand that too. And so we do a take three, wind is off, and the director goes, Great, now we have it. I said, Nope, still don't have it. He goes, You you really? I said, Really? I said, it'll be magic, and you will know it when you see it. The next take, the wind hits, she hits, and everyone goes, oh. 
And I go, now we have it. That's the magic. And that's what you saw. Okay. Uh, now, of course, besides the size of you know a, a great cast, you also had some uh, a great group of guest stars, uh, including uh, unfortunately the late Powers Booth and Bill Paxton. Yes. Do you have any um, memories or uh, uh, stories about either of those two actors? Yeah, actually, Powers and and okay, Powers and Bill are were, were both great, great human beings. Uh, Powers and I had a wonderful conversation about our sons who played college baseball. So he was a big, big baseball guy. Uh, loved it, and so we talked about that and everything. And then, uh, and then with with Bill, Bill was just such beautiful energy. Um, he loved. I, and this, this this story is not foreign to anybody, but he loved the art of making movies or television. He he loved the crews. He loved to talk to crews, and and he would talk to me, and we would, you know, I, I would tell him how I need to have something. He said, "Okay, okay." We'll do that or you know and then one day we were we were talking about something and I, and I said you know he was asking me about I don't know my life in a way and 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 uh you know the kind of kid I was as a teenager which was very big in the special effects makeup and foam latex appliance pieces that I sculpted and all kinds of things and people thought that was weird you know and or odd and and, and that's just because you're an artist you know and then he looked at me and goes, yeah, but look at you now, <laughs> you know? And I said, yeah, you're right. And, and he was just, he was just great. And then we got, you know, to work with his son who played a young, um, his, you know, the character younger in the final season and everything. So that was a lot of fun. Okay. Now, if you like, you didn't, I didn't need any more reason to think you were cool. I didn't even realize that you directed an episode. Uh, but you directed an uh, episode yes. in season six, uh, Code Yellow, which of course was the uh -huh. uh, Deke Steel uh, Shields uh, tech to create a company. Uh, so, uh, what was that yep. experience like? Well, it's something I had been pushing since probably season two, trying to move into directing, which is still, you know, what I'm, you know, working at doing and trying to get, you know, more of that kind of work because you know, as an artist, you want to evolve. But um, I had done. The, the episode six of Slingshot, which was kind of like your audition, you know, mm -hmm. and that went very well. And so now here I was getting to do, you know, episode 604. And of course, you know, uh, working, I, I didn't get all the cast because I didn't, then, you know, it was just was more, you know, Jeff Ward with Deke and, and, and a little bit of Chloe, uh, but I didn't have Ian. I didn't have um, Elizabeth. Um, but it was, it was, but everyone else I had, and, and I had some really cool, you know, guest actors as well uh, for that season. And um, so, you know, I will, I will tell you this, um, to do it right, it takes a lot of planning, like anything. It takes a lot of work. Uh, you got to prep. Um, you have to, we have to come in prepared every day, every, every, every scene, every day I shot, um, I was fully prepared with a plan for every single scene of how I was going to do everything. And the plan, which the DGA, Director's Guild of America, will tell you, you got to come with a plan. The plan makes you think about a scene, but the plan will also allow you to pivot from the plan or toss the plan. But at least you thought about the scene and you're not making it up on the spot, which will waste a lot of time and money. So um, it was a blast. I mean, Jeff Ward is such a tremendous talent and he's such, he's, you know, we had something that made him look like an action star. 
on side, you know, inside this sort of virtual game of this, you know, alien ship um, to being this really funny comedic, you know, actor, which we know he does, you know, brilliantly. Um, but it, it just, it just was a wonderful experience. Um, and, uh, you know, um, something I want to turn more into more of my career. So that's what, uh, that's what I'm working on is trying to make more happen. Yeah. But it, it was a lot of fun. Okay, so during that episode, did you delegate the, the VFX thing to someone else so you can concentrate basically on directing? <laughs> funny, 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 very astute question. Funny you asked that. Um, so here's the deal. Um, I had um, I had an onset supervisor uh, that that worked at Fuse a lot, um, John Decker, and he was part of a lot of the work that we did on Ages of Shield. He was. He really wanted to become a visual effects supervisor on set. Now he's doing that. So he's, it, it's, it's wonderful to see him grow. Um, and so, but I know visual effects really well. But what I didn't have time for are the nuts and bolts of the visual effects job, which was doing HDRI photography, lighting spheres, taking all the notes, getting all the data. Didn't have time for that. Um, he didn't, it, it, there wasn't much I had to deal with in terms of conferring with him. There was a, there was a moment where, I had a transition where Jeff Ward was going to transition out of the game into, uh, you know, Deke's labs, you know, the, you know, at his company. And, um, and so I came with an idea of putting him on a, on a turntable. So this way, when he turned the, the light would move on his face and, and he would be against the green screen. I'd shoot a plate behind him. And, and then, uh, and then we would morph him into himself onto the B side, which was him sitting in a beanbag chair inside this whole, you know, lab. And, um, and the problem was, is when we turned him, the, the turntable wobbled. So he went around <laughs> like this. <laughs> and, so, and so it wasn't working. And so Mark Christie, the key grip, and my, and my DP, Kyle Jewell, are looking at me and go, this isn't working. And they go, I don't know what to do. And I go, okay, I got, I got to switch hats here from director back to VFX supervisor. <laughs> So I go, man, I go, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said to the DP, I said, Kyle, we're not going to move Jeff. Jeff will stay still, and you're going to move the light so it makes it look like he's actually turning. And that's how we did it. So a little bit of both there then. Okay, well, you know, I could talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. forever, but I know you got other things, <laughs> things to do. Uh, so uh, I know, said, I know that you're working steadily on Raiden Beyond and, uh, and do you have any, anything else that you got in the hopper that uh, you want to talk about? Is this pretty much, this has been your laser focus? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to grab, you know, other things or there's nothing really, you know, things will start to come up as I get closer to finishing. We, we, we'll finish the visual effects in probably mid-November. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I'm trying to get one of my own projects going with, with, with my agent that I think could be great and and, um, and uh, you know, but it's just, you know, that's about all we can do is, is she could put the feelers out and start to see what's what, you know, and, you know, maybe Netflix will have another project that they'll want me to be a part of. I don't know. You know, nothing has been said to me yet. So, but, uh, but, you know, I might end up taking, you know, the rest of November and December off and show for a bit and then, and then come back in the new year. But yeah, nothing, nothing in the hopper yet. I mean, some things get away from you and you kind of go, oh, that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. you know? All right. 
I said, well, I appreciate it a whole lot because, like I said, I'm, I've been trying to chase you down for a while now, and I'm so glad to talk to you. Uh, and, of course, we will be following uh, Raising DM when it comes out. Do we know exactly when they're talking about releasing it on probably, Netflix? I'm guessing, and this is just my guess, it's going to be somewhere spring of 2022, I would think. Um, right. Seems like the right place. I mean, I've, I've, I think I can't, you can't, I can't hold me that. It's just my gut telling me. But there's some really cool things. We've we've improved upon all of the visual effects uh, from season one. Uh, it's it's it's. I will say this is that Dion is three years older. He's more advanced. He's more in control of his abilities. Um, and there's new looks to things he's done in the past. And there's new things coming up. And there's a really cool uh, thing I'll just tease with that. That is the that is our sort of uh, antagonist. That's that's going to be very, very cool. So um, yeah, it's 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 going to be an exciting second season for the show. All right, love the tease. All right, all right. So Mark, I appreciate it. Like I said, and we will be, uh, of course, like I said, following everything you're doing very closely, and we appreciate it. Awesome. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening to GVN's Talking Comics. Please come back again. Talking Comics is a production of Geek Vibes Nation.